0: Welcome to the podcast, The Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world.
1: I'm going to read the scripture for this morning. It's found in Ephesians 2, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the word to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen.
0: Well, good morning, Gateway Logan. Thank you to my lovely wife, uh, Emma, for reading that scripture for us. Normally, I kind of reference her in my sermons. I'm not going to do that this morning. So I thought, what better way to involve her than to get her to read the scripture for me? Uh, Now, I I did get a chance to catch up uh, with Pastor Dave this week, and he said that he loves you and he misses you all. Uh, He just needs another week, uh, another Sunday, because he needs to recover from the result on Wednesday night. Uh, He is a Blues fan, for those of you that don't know that. Uh, So uh, he will be back on deck uh, tomorrow, so uh, just to let you guys know that. Uh, And as uh, Tim said this morning, we're going to be starting a new series this week on identity, and we're going to be looking at this uh, for the next six weeks. And it's based out of the book of Ephesians, and, and we're going to be exploring uh, a, a multiple range of different things that come out of this book or this letter uh, to, that was written to the Ephesians. Uh, And the the book itself can actually be split into into two separate parts. So the first uh, three chapters, so one to three, is about actually coming to understand uh, or encouraging the church in Ephesus about their own identity in Christ. And and so obviously that that then gets uh, transformed across into our contemporary language. And then the, the next chapter, so four to six, is actually then what our response is as, as understanding our identity and how that works out in our relationships and within community and also within the church itself as well. Uh, but before we actually get in and, and start to unpack this scripture this morning, let's just pray together. Dearly Father, we just want to thank you that you have been in this place. Your, your spirit is here with us. And Father, as we start to explore some of these questions, and some of these are going to be really hard questions for us to struggle through, I pray that you will open our eyes, you'll open our ears, and you'll open our hearts to what it is that you have specifically for us, not just today, but throughout this series, as we come to understand more about how identity is found in you and you alone. Uh, Father, as, as we explore this outside of, of just being here on a Sunday morning, I pray uh, for, that we can have these conversations in grace and in wisdom and in knowledge and be patient with one another as we, we, we start to grapple with how we can actually start to bring more people to Jesus through this understanding of who we are and who they are. So Father, we pray these things this morning. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have have heard this story, but there is a story that goes uh, that there was a farmer that was walking through his field one day, and he came across a young eaglet chick. He picked it up, and looking around, he couldn't see where it had come from. He he couldn't see a nest or anything like that, so in his good nature, he decided to take it home and put it into the chicken coop with his chickens. Now, the problem was that this eagle now thought that it had become a chicken, it didn't realize that it could fly, and it thought that the only sense of food was the chicken seed. Now, we all know in the natural world that's not actually true, right? But then along came a naturalist one day and said to the farmer, you do realize that you have an eagle amongst your chickens, right? So, I I need to kind of do something about this. I don't feel quite right. So, he picked the, the eagle up, and uh, he took it to the, the roof, uh, the top of the farmer's roof, and, and held it on his arm and tried to gently prompt and nudge the eagle to, to take off. Except the eagle kind of looked around and then looked back at its chicken friends and thought, I'm a chicken. What are you talking about? And didn't do anything. It just jumped back down and, and became a chicken. All right? The naturalist still was like, oh, this is not, an e- this is not a chicken. It's an eagle. All right, what can I do? So the next thing that he tried to do was took it to the nearest, highest peak that it could find. And again, he held out the eagle and tried to gently, a little bit more than gently this time, kind of go, come on, like, you are an eagle. You need to learn to fly. And and suddenly the eagle, not being able to see the chickens, looked around, looked up to the sun and felt the breeze against its wings and suddenly something incredible happened another eagle came flying past and at that moment the naturalist felt that that eagle start to tremble and spread its wings start to flap and it jumped and it took off and it started soaring and wheeling around just as it had been intended and just as how it had been created to be it had become the eagle And and for so many of us, we feel like we might be trapped just as that eagle. We kind of look around and think, we're kind of just a chicken, right? But we're not actually created to be that way. And throughout history, uh, humanity has actually struggled with these questions. They've, They've struggled with, who am I? What is true about myself? Where do I find happiness? Where do I find true purpose and meaning? In other words, these are all questions that we start to grapple with around our identity. The, the problem that comes with this is how we understand our identity has significant ramifications for how we live out our lives, how we relate to other people, and even how we deal with particular situations and circumstances. See, our, our identity shapes everything that we believe to be true about ourselves, and it shapes everything that we do. And the answer to these questions has far-reaching, life-shaping, and identity-forming implications. And see, history has shaped and, and kind of honed and changed how we perceive our identity. And, and much like today, just for a bit of background information, the, the church in Ephesus was a city that was surrounded, uh, it was shaped and in, within the s- uh, cultural forces of which they found themselves, and, and where they kind of ...were fitted into that social structure. But even more than that, Ephesus was actually an incredibly powerful political and cultural centre... ...and it was known for its incredible architecture. And, and, And in this architecture, we can see a deeply spiritual city... And uh, the city of Ephesus actually had a temple dedicated to just about every god under the Roman Parthenon, but in particular to uh, Diana or Artemis, who was actually the goddess of uh, fertility. And, and all sorts of weird and wonderful things happened in the temple that are not weird and wonderful in a good way. And, uh, you know, it, actually, that temple actually became one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. But even more than their, their worship towards uh, the Roman gods and goddesses, they actually gave a lot of their religious affection to the leader of the day, so one of uh, the Caesars. And, and they would actually declare Caesar as Lord. See, for those people, those Christians that were receiving this letter, uh, their, their identity was profoundly wrapped up in the social, cultural, political, and religious fabric of the city. And that's exactly what we experience today. But even more than that, the conversation for us around identity has, has turned in a way that is actually more confusing and divisive than ever before. And, and some of these conversations have actually changed the, those questions. And they've changed it to something around, is it something that we're given, or is it something that we create? Is it something that defines us, or is it something that we define. See, the secular narrative that we we live in now tells us that we're responsible for designing who we are. Essentially, it tells us that we are responsible uh, for making ourselves God, and and we're, you know, invited to explore our inner selves in the pursuit of finding who we truly are. It's actually become more about self-knowledge and self-regard, and many of us will know that the feeling is that we live in quite a selfish culture. But the problem is, what this does is is then it creates a greater deal of pressure, confusion, and ultimately disappointment as individuals navigate what is true and what isn't, and then who actually decides this. And, And rather than it leading to a freedom and a purpose, it's actually done the opposite, and it creates a sense of fear and inadequacy, insecurity, loss of belonging and confidence, and can lead to isolation. Let me ask you a question. What is often the first question that you are asked or you ask someone when you introduce yourself to them? What do you do? Right? And, and often this, this question is even within that, it kind of creates in us, it's either a positive or a negative thing depending on, on whether it is that you actually like what it is that you do or you've kind of just been stuck with it. Potentially, there's some other questions around this, around how much money that you, it, has, it gives you in your bank account or how much money you have in a, pay, a take-home paycheck. Perhaps that your sense of worth is, is found in the postcode or the house that you live in, uh, what your ca- brand of car is or your last holiday destination. Perhaps for some of us, it's the number of likes on the, our latest, latest social media post or actually who interacted with it. Or perhaps it's actually our ability to keep up with the latest social trends that we see on social media or even fashion trends. We feel like it's these things that often define us. And all of these things are temporary. And, but it's no wonder we feel exhausted by trying to keep up with it all or we lose our sense of, sense of identity when one of these things disappears or gets taken away from us. And what this does is this leads to five lies of identity that we find ourselves seemingly playing over and over again in our heads like a broken record. And they are, I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people say or think of me, other people's perspectives or assumptions. I am nothing more than my worst moment, and I am nothing less than my best moment. Can I suggest something for us this morning as, as we start to, to look into this scripture, that our sense of identity doesn't actually come from looking out into the surrounding culture and it, or it doesn't come from looking inside ourselves to find ourselves, but it actually comes from looking up Amen. and it comes from looking into his word about what it is that he says about us and it's about believing it in Christ. See, to be in Christ actually changes everything. It changes where the true power is located. It it changes where love can be found. And it changes where our sense of true joy is discovered. As John Stott says, to be in Christ is to be personally and vitally united to Christ as branches to the vine and member to the body and thereby also to Christ's people. See, it's not just a, that we believe in Jesus or that Jesus is in our hearts. It's instead actually understanding that we are united with Jesus. It, it's not a matter of saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but we kind of just keep Jesus in our back pocket to kind of bring him out whenever we feel that it's appropriate. It's about knowing that our identity is in Jesus. It's in Christ Christ. That we are connected to him through faith, and we've been baptized in his death and raised to new life in his resurrection. And what that means is that understanding this identity in Christ is actually the key to our spiritual formation. It's the key to our spiritual growth. And, and you would have heard me emphasize the in Christ, because that's actually really important through the book of Ephesians, because it appears 36 times. And in fact, it appears 11 times in some variation in, this, in these first 14 verses. And what this is showing us is this opening chapter is compelling us as we seek to understand what our identity is in Christ. And it was interesting when, when Emma was, was practicing this at home, she was struggling to take a breath. And that is because verses 3 through 14 is the single longest sentence in the original Greek New Testament. And what Paul is is trying to do as best as he possibly can is explain everything to us that is available when we place our faith in Christ. It's kind of like when we've gone to a show and and we we see at the end the fireworks finale and you're kind of sitting there wondering when the last one's going to come because all the pretty colours and all the bangs are going off and it just seems like it's ongoing. That's exactly what Paul is, is trying to explain here as best as he possibly can. There's just constant things going off. And commentator Armitage Robertson suggests that these verses are like the preliminary flight of the eagle rising and wheeling around as though for a, cert- a while uncertain what direction in his boundless freedom it shall take. Sound familiar? So from this passage this morning, there's five core true realities to, identi- to our identity that speak of who we are, that are foundational to our understanding of what it means to be in Christ and and to be fair, each one of these uh, could be their own sermon in their own right. So I'm going to try and break this down as best as I possibly can, in the time that I have left. So the first one this morning is you are chosen. And these verses are beautifully reminding us that even before the world began, He chose you. He wanted you. You had His affection. You were already on His heart. And this is what speaks of our ultimate worth to Him. See, that word before in the original translation means to be in front of someone's gaze, in front of someone's face, or in someone's presence. In other words, in Christ, we are constantly in His gaze, in the gaze of the Father. And it's His attention that empowers the way that we live our lives. Now there's a little bit of theological argument and I'm prepared to have this with some people afterwards around the idea of predestination that we kind of read uh, in the scriptures and, and, and it's, it can be a little bit confusing to understand. But what I think that Paul is writing here is that he has already decided to choose you before the world even began and he was determined that he had a plan and a purpose and a will for your life. In other words, you are no accident it's almost like, uh, how many, I wonder how many people have watched uh, The Voice, right? So you know that in The Voice, there's, there's four judges that kind of sit there and they wait to hear someone sing, and then they make a decision to, to smash the red button when they like what they hear, and the, then the lights ro- light up and they say, we choose you, right? The best part about this is that God was already smashing that button before he even saw you. He was doing the Simon Cow jumping on the golden button, if you watch America's Got Talent. And the best thing about that is for some of us, that's really good news because we know that we can't sing, right? But that's, that's the reality. That, that is God smashing that big red button for you. And he was doing that before you even foot, step foot on the earth. And I love the beautiful word poetry that Eugene Peterson uses in the message. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working out in everything and everyone. And the best part is, it's even in our imperfections, even in the things that we think should disqualify us, He is still choosing us, and He is still blessing us us see in christ he is the source of every good and perfect gift and and unlike the gods of of ephesus where you had to go and and give some form of tribute in order to receive the favor of that particular god our god actually doesn't need or want anything in return except for you to say yes to him to be found in christ He is a good father who delights in every blessing because he loves blessing his children with good gifts. And the best part of the blessings that these things that he's offering us through this passage are far greater than any of the material things that we find our sense of belonging in. These are blessings that are higher, better, and more secure than anything earthly could ever secure us and anything earthly could ever offer us. So we're chosen. We're also set apart. So not only are we we just saved from our sins in Christ, but we're actually chosen for a plan and a purpose. We're set apart to be different in the best possible way when we're found in Christ. Now, the the word holy that's in verse 4 is actually the same word as saints that's found in the introduction in verse 1. And this Greek word hagios actually helps us to understand that we are set apart, that we are different, and we're called to be special. It, it isn't just reserved for super spiritual or special Christians, but it's actually for everyone who is found in Christ. And that's, that's different from the definition of saint that we've come to understand today. See, Paul's not referring in any way, shape, or form to any form of perfection as the qualification. The, the qualification to be called a saint was to be in Christ. And that's actually really important, not only to understand in the cultural environment into which this letter was written, it's actually important for us to understand now that though we are, are not perfect, we stand in a world where the message of Christianity is countercultural. Because we're chosen and because we are set apart, we're called to be distinct and different from the world. So the opposite of whole is, is not just sinning, but it's actually living by the same standards of the world and the standards and the values that they are trying to put on us. We, we've actually got to be okay with living uncomfortab- living comfortably, being uncomfortable, because that's what sets us apart and that's what create In Christ, that's why we're different. It's, it's like the same way that when a new building is, is built, it gets zoned in a certain way because it has a specific purpose for the community in which it surrounds itself. And, and that's just how this is speaking. We are called to be different, to be set apart, to have a purpose. It, and it, in the best news as well, for anyone that loves any sort of renovation, this is the other thing. In Christ, we are completely renovated. We are made new, both inside and out. The old has completely gone, and the new has come in Christ. The third point this morning is you are adopted. Now, uh, it's interesting. My, my father was, was adopted, so trying to talk through this, some, to come to an understanding of kind of what it means, earthly, Um, But in terms of of biblical uh, sense, in the way that this is unpacked, that in Roman law, when an adoption was complete, it was complete. There there was no ifs, buts, or maybes. And and once that child was adopted, they had become a legitimate son of of whatever family they uh, were adopted into. And and they picked up all the new rights of the new family and and lost uh, the sense of identity of the old family. And it was actually so new, in fact, that any debts or obligations that the old family had were completely gone. They were erased. They they didn't exist anymore. And the word sonship is actually not gender-specific here in this passage. It's actually a word that was created in the Greek because there was no other word that could be found that expressed the significance of what paul is trying to say here it's actually an incredibly rare word and there's very few sources that, that can find it so what it's demonstrating to us the power that this has is that god has placed us in the tradition of the firstborn, so that we can receive our full inheritance in him And this means that God is giving us access to everything that he has. Everything that belongs to God belongs to us. And he's placing us as co-heirs with Jesus in Christ. See, human parents can bestow their love, their resources, their inheritance on an adopted child. But they cannot place their distinct characteristics on them. But it's in Christ that we are miraculously given this nature... And those who've trusted in Christ receive this freely. He makes them his children in the image of Jesus, giving them not just riches and blessings, but we receive his very nature. And as a trusted son or daughter, we are invited by our Father to partner him. We carry the blueprints and we actually get to work with God on the project of the mission that he first started when Jesus came to earth, and even before that, before the creation of the world. We are the representation of the Father to the world. And see, God expressed his approval to his son, Jesus, before Jesus actually even did a single thing. And we read this in Mark 1:11. It says, "'You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased.'" And you know what through your adoption you have that same approval and purpose in our adoption in Christ but adoption comes and remains by the power of faith of and faith in the father's words to us see faith is about holding on to God's instructions over and above everything else whether it's the thoughts habits or feelings of another person and what they're trying to push on us or the narrative that we're telling ourselves. It means that God's voice has to become the sole source of information about ourselves. And we have to learn to understand ourselves in the way that he sees, thinks and feels towards us as his adopted sons and daughters. We have to come to the understanding that no matter what we've done, he is still proud of us, he is watching over us, and he is cheering us on to succeed. It's in the absence of this understanding of the Father's love that we compete and perform for what we need. But when we rest in him, in his loving arms, we freely and joyfully partner with his power and purposes on heaven and Sorry, on earth and in heaven. The fourth thing thing this morning is you are set free. And and we read the word redeemed here. That word actually means to be set free. And it means that we've already had the price paid for us to secure our freedom from those things that we want to hold on to, the things that bind us. Through our creation, we've actually been made in God's image which has actually or should actually already give us our understanding of our value, purpose, dignity and worth. And yet, because he loves us so much, he paid the price for us a second time. And he did that through sending his one and only son, Jesus. And that is where our freedom and our forgiveness, our redemption has come from. See, by redeeming us, by setting us free, Jesus takes everything that we are, everything that we think we are, our past, our failures, our guilt, our shame, our sin, our imperfections, and in return, we receive everything that he is and everything that he has. And that is the gift of grace. It's undeserved love and favor that he has freely given to us in Christ. And the fifth thing this morning is, you are sealed. And in Bible times, uh, a seal was often weighed of, ma- uh, of wax, not of wax. Uh, and uh, sorry, mate. Uh, and uh, what it would mean is, is it was actually a sign that, that this letter, or this, this transmission, uh, was a possession of, of royalty, and it was a royal's decree. And, and even today, uh, you know, that's why JPs are really important because it actually uh, stamps an undoubted ownership and origination of that particular uh, a document or, or item. And it represents that this is mine. You belong to me. It is by my hand. And what is contained is to be understood as my decree. And, and the Holy Spirit acts as, as this pledge or guarantee of our inheritance, and, and this pledge is a deposit as 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 made as a proof of intent, and it's much like that ten percent deposit that we have to place when we're purchasing a house. At least I think it's still ten percent. You can show how far off I am from buying a house. Uh, the Holy Spirit has given uh, to be perma- uh, like permanently identify us as heirs and to conform God's good purposes in us. And and through giving us the Holy Spirit, he has placed the down payment, that first installment, as a guarantee for our futures. It's in Christ, we are already blessed, but it actually shows that there's even more to come that surpasses everything that we have here on earth. The best days in this life are just a foretaste of the eternal life that that is to come with him, and we're being prepared for ...right now for something that is even greater. But it comes with the confidence to risk living out of what we've inherited... ...because it comes from knowing the one who actually gave it to us. And if hearing about any sort of other inheritance causes us to to feel scared... ...afraid, maybe disobedient or unworthy of what is to come... We're actually pointing our faith in the wrong direction and it's to the wrong person. See, Christ is the one who releases what's been promised. The inheritance begins first in our hearts and we work on it like a daily bread because in Jesus, this is what affects every attitude and every thought. And in Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, he writes, and the Lord who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And the point is this, once you have received this inheritance, once you know in Christ, you begin to live out like the one who gave it to you. Now the realities for me, uh, even as as, uh, it sounded like I kind of had it all together as I was preaching through these five points, was this was actually an incredibly hard message for me to put together. Because you know what? He was reminding me of these five points for me in my preparation this week too. See, I, I've, I've lived my life out still looking for relevance, acceptance, validations, importance, worth, value, and love. And I've often found it in the wrong places, in wrong relationships, wrong choices, just to try and figure out who I am or what the expectations of me are. And and I felt strangled, weighed down, and at times crushed by it all. The reality for me is I saw myself through my earthly father's eyes. And as part of the conversation, I, I love my dad, but we had to have a really difficult conversation this week. The reason I felt that way was because my dad taught, had never told me that he loved me or he was proud of me until I was 30 years old. I turned 36 this week. That's a real harsh reality for me because that is how I thought my heavenly father saw me. I felt like I wasn't enough. I, I felt like I had to do more to be more for approval despite me feeling like I was trying my absolute best and out of that I still struggle with feedback and I struggle with criticism and I struggle with perceptions and words that people give me even though they actually hold no weight by comparison and as I looked at myself in the mirror I didn't know who I was and I didn't know how to find it what God was reminding this week was that was never how he saw me, ever. Ever. See, these reminders are actually really important for all of us. What God says about you is more important than any criticism from any boss or any work colleague. It's more important than any expectations of parents or family members to put on you because that's what they dreamed you to be. These words are more important than the pressure that the culture puts on us to look or sound or achieve certain things or be a certain way in order to fit in or to be accepted. And these words are far more important than those five negative questions that we want to keep on repeat stuck over and over again in our heads that we're not doing these words that we looked at this morning in these passages that is the true reality of our identity and it tells us that what God says about us the way he values us the way he chooses us is actually what matters most that in Christ we are all that we need to be it is all that we are we don't need any other outside factors to tell us anything different. So don't go looking outward for the opinions of of others for validation because that is not the answer and it never, ever will be. And self-validation is not the answer because Christ, in Christ, you have already been validated. See, our identity is not earned and it's not created by us but it's been graciously given to us and received through the one who created us, who loves us and chooses us, and everything flows from that. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.